0: Himalayas earlier this month. It's part of a one billion dollar highway said to be aimed at connecting four Hindu pilgrimage sites through a network of roads. The men have been receiving food, water, light, oxygen and medicines through a pipe. Authorities are however unsure what caused the collapse. Gold's trading at $2,015.05 an ounce. The Rand's at $18.74 to the dollar, $23.66 to the pound, $20.52 to the euro. Brent crude oil is at $80.89 a barrel.
1: Traffic remains sluggish in Midrand on the N1 northbound from Ellendale to New Road, while in Benrose, bumper-to-bumper traffic heading into the Joburg CBD on the M2 westbound between Shilvers and Joslova Drive. And in the Mother City, there's an accident scene on the N1. Incoming in the left lane. Uh, this is approaching the N7, causing delays.
0: It's partly cloudy in Gaudeng today, with scattered thundershowers expected later on. Temperatures are peaking at highs of between 31 and 34 degrees. And in Cape Town, partly cloudy skies as well, with a high of 24. The top story in eyewitness news this hour the National Union of Metal Workers has conveyed condolences to families of the 11 miners killed in an incident at the Mbala Platinum Mine in Rustenburg.
2: Eyewitness News, in touch, in tune and independent. For the latest, log on to EWN.co.za or ewn.movie 702,
0: the midday report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online, the 702 app, DSTV channel
1: 856, 92.7 and 106FM.
3: Coming up on the show today, 11 miners die at the Impala Platz mine in Rustenburg. A 21 year old student appears in court for the Kirsten Claes murder. South Africa sees a decrease in HIV prevalence. We'll find out why. The Moonshot Pact meets in Boxburg and Boxing SA has a new board. All of that over the next hour. 702.
4: Let's walk the talk
3: good afternoon welcome to the Madeira report on 702 and Cape talk on this Tuesday with me Mandy Wiener. good to be with you today uh, we'll start with that lead story today 11 workers dying after a cage fell in a shaft at the Impala mine in Rustenburg in the Northwest we know that over 70 people have been injured as well when this cage plunged down a shaft after a cable snapped last night as you heard in eyewitness news there the unions have been reacting uh, we've heard from uh, the uh, National Union of Mine Workers, also AMCO, has been speaking about whether or not there is negligence. Well, let's uh, find out uh, what we know about this incident with Johan Taron, who is the Impala Platinum Mine spokesperson. Johan, good afternoon to you. Thank you for, for your time and condolences uh, on the, the loss of 11 miners at your mine. What do we know about this incident?
5: Hi, thanks, Mandy. Yeah, so certainly the rope didn't snap. I think that's the first correction. But certainly what we're dealing with is in that conveyance, there was a malfunction of some sorts that's still to be determined, which resulted in this conveyance slipping down and accelerating in a negative direction back down into the shaft after it was coming up. Um, And it was because of the rope was still attached that it was arrested. Um, that caused the injuries, but if the rope was completely snapped, I I fear we would have looked at an even more devastating situation.
3: And is it uh, are you able to say at this stage, Johan, what may have caused this? Um, is it a freak accident? Is it negligence? Is it something uh, that 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 has occurred in the past? Oh, put it into some context
5: for us. Yeah, I think you know. Firstly. These systems are used all over the world. They are robust, they are inherently safe. You know, you find similar systems in, you know, ski slopes, building, elevators. So the long and short is it shouldn't happen. They, they are robust and they have a level of oversight and inspection that, that guarantees that. Um, at this stage, um, we're at the initial part of, of investigation and it's absolutely critical that we leave no stone unturned, not just for us but also to share the learnings, you know, with the broader mining industry because, you know, these systems are so commonly used on a daily basis and, and this is quite unusual um, and, and, and quite surprising.
3: Those that uh, have been injured, the number we have is at 75. Is that an accurate number and what can you tell us about, about how they are?
5: Yes, yeah, so absolutely. There were 86 people in the conveyance when the incident occurred. Tragically, 11 have sustained fatal injuries, and the other 75 are being treated in local hospitals, including our own hospital. The injuries are generally um, leg fracture-type type injuries, you know, with complexities and severities that, that differ from case to case, and they are being treated accordingly.
3: And in terms of, of your operations, have you now pushed pause on uh, the Impala Platinum Mines operations? Do you continue? Are you engaging with uh, the various uh,
5: unions as well? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, it's it's such a grave incident. Um, you know, we have suspended all operations. Um, you know, it's important that we pause, that we reflect, that we mourn, that we pull together, that we initiate and work together with our social partners and, you know, the DMRE. Um, you know, I think we're all in this together. We all want a safe mining industry and it's imperative that we do all we can to get there.
3: Johan, thank you very much uh, Johan Turon from Impala Platinum Mine he's the spokesperson there uh, giving us clarity on that incident making the point that the rope did not snap um, but rather uh, providing the correct terminology there of what happened in this incident at the Impala Platinum Mine in Rustenburg in the northwest uh, a cage plunging down a shaft so at the moment uh, 11 people killed uh, and over 70 people injured as well
2: 702 The Midday Report Monday to Friday, 12
3: to 1 p.m. President Cyril Ramaphosa, who's been a very busy man, very busy president over the past few days, uh, is uh, today speaking. He's just gone to the podium at the African Union Third Men's Conference on Positive Masculinity in Leadership to End Violence Against Women and Girls. It's being co-hosted by South Africa and the Comoros. Let's have a listen to what the president is saying.
4: Such a world is within our reach. If we focus on the prevention of all forms of violence against women and children and girls we cannot realize a society free of violence against women and girls without critically interrogating what one could call the assumptions around patriarchy around male chauvinism and sexism it is these assumptions and in some cases traditions that lead young men and boys to believe that women are property that they are worth less than themselves as men and that they are deserving of ill treatment This is a conversation that men need to have. And I'm glad that at this conference and the past few summits that have been held, two summits, these discussions and conversations are going on. Men in the main are the perpetrators of violence against women and girls. At the same time, it is men who have the power to bring about the change that we so need in society. They have the power and we must focus on unleashing that power that the men have because they are the perpetrators. So we must focus on them. the unity, self-reliance, self-determination, freedom, the progress and prosperity we collectively strive towards under the AU's Agenda 2063 are being undermined by gender-based violence. Such violence
3: That's President Cyril Ramaphosa speaking at the moment at the Third Men's Conference on Positive Masculinity and Leadership to End Violence Against Women and Girls. uh, Speaking there about the fact that men, boys, must be at the forefront of the fight against gender-based violence. Well, on this issue of gender-based violence, it uh, segues into the next story that we are covering. And that is the court appearance today by the 21-year-old varsity college student, Bafana Mahongela, who appeared in the Alexandra Magistrates Court today for the murder of the Johannesburg teacher, Kirsten Klate, So a breakthrough by the police there, are uh, being arrested on Sunday. Police traced him to his student accommodation uh, around one and a half kilometres from where the teacher's body was found. A, a very detailed report in New- News 24 today about how that police search happened and how they actually managed to track him. And you'll know by now that uh, Clayton had been participating in a community run. It was a walk event. She went missing from the circuit at George Lear Park in in Stanton last month. And then authorities used the footage from cameras to actually trace his movements that day. Um, They saw him discarding clothing in a stormwater drain. um, And then they saw him actually wearing her shirt, her blue shirt, and walking out. um, And they traced him to Benmore Gardens where he had been renting a room. So he appeared in court today the NPA spokesperson Pindi Mjonundwana saying the state will oppose a bail application. Have a listen to what she had to say to our reporter Bernadette Wicks.
6: His application to be released on bail if we reach that stage because for now the matter has been postponed for him um, to appoint a lawyer. So we will be back in court on the 5th of December 2023. He has elected to appoint his own private lawyer so Hopefully by then he would have appointed someone to represent him legally um, so that then we can know whether or not they want to bring an application to be released on bail. But should they decide to do that, we will be ready as the state in opposition for his release on bail. And then we've also seen some um, media reports about a, a rape charge. Can you just clarify that for us? For now, uh, the only charge that the accused is facing is a meta charge. However, investigations are ongoing. Um, There are still outstanding DNA results that the state uh, need to acquire. Therefore, for now, the only charge that he's facing is that of murder. We will be guided by the outcome of the outstanding investigations, whether or not additional charges should be added to the one that he's facing
7: in um, can I please ask, so we did hear that the state is not just opposing bail, but they are given to opposing bail. Can you explain the grounds on which the state has decided to adopt this position to bail?
6: Well, the accused before court is facing a serious charge, one of murder and hence we will be opposing bail as the state, but as to the reasons why uh, we will be opposing bail, they will be advanced in court once we reach that stage.
7: Against the backdrop of it being 16 days, or I think just before 16 days, can you talk to us a little bit about the NPA's approach to gender-based violence matters?
6: Well, we we have adopted an approach um, of uh, vehement prosecution against those that commit uh, violent crimes against women and children. Uh, we continue to play a, a, an important role as the prosecution in cases of gender based violence. Um, we continue to be the voice of vulnerable groups like our women and children, and um, hence, in every case. That is gender based violence related. As the state, um, the main approach is to oppose bail and is to also uh, argue for harsher sentences so that we, uh, we, we can be in a position to deter like minded individuals from committing similar offenses.
3: That's the NPA spokesperson, Pindi Mjonondwana, speaking to reporters after that court appearance today. In court for us, Bernadette Wicks, EWN reporter, who's back in our Joburg studio. Uh, so Bernadette, uh, we had this appearance today, a very brief appearance mm. uh, by this 21-year-old student for the murder of uh, Kirsten Kletz. What happened in court today?
7: Um, like you say, Mandy, it was a very, very brief appearance. Um, he emerged from the dock um, looking very shell-shocked with a hoodie. Um, And the hood covering his face, the court did ask him to remove that. Um, The court then explained to him the seriousness of the charges... Uh, The court highlighted that he, the minimum prescribed sentence for murder, he's only facing a murder charge as you'll have just heard um, at the moment. The minimum prescribed sentence for murder is 15 years. He could be facing as much as 25 years. Um, And they then asked him how he'd like to proceed in terms of legal representation. If he'd like to appoint his own attorney or if he'd like to get legal aid, he indicated he'd like to appoint his own attorney. Um, We did also hear from the state that if it does come down to a bail application, they're vehemently opposing that. Um, And then the case was remanded or was postponed until the 5th of December, essentially for, for the accused to get legal representation.
3: And what do we know about Bafana Makungela? Uh, potential motive? Um, how the police tracked him? Wh- why this may have happened?
7: Um, Very little, officially, at this point. Uh, we know that he's a 21-year-old student, apparently from Varsity College in Parkmore. That's what the NPA told us today. Um, it has been reported that he he apparently told police he was drunk when it happened, um, though at this stage are obviously just reports. Nothing's been confirmed officially, though.
3: Bernadette Wicks, thank you very much for giving us an update there on that court appearance. Uh, Kudos to the police for making this breakthrough with the help of a private security company. Um, But we do have uh, an arrest, we have a court appearance, uh, and hopefully there will be justice in this matter, too. 702.
0: 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m.
3: Well, let's stay in the courts now and go to Komotsu Modise, EWN reporter, who's on the Senzo Miwa trial for us. The investigator in this matter, uh, Brigadier um, Ganinda, back on the stand today. Komotsu, what's been happening there?
8: Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, Brigadier um, in back on the witness stand this morning and he's continuing with his testimony. But before he could start, we saw a bit of drama playing out in court, um, You know, a bit of an extension of what happened yesterday. So yesterday we saw that couple tension and a fight really between the warden and uh, some of the accused. Today, it seems security has been beefed up around the accused, Mali. Their um, uh, hands have been cuffed. So what's been happening usually is that uh, they've been making their way into the dock only with leg irons. Uh, but today, there's more handcuffs, particularly from accused or, or unaccused uh, number three and number five. Um, and so there were delays this morning because of that. Uh, we're hearing, you know, um, uh, claims of a bit of resistance this morning uh, coming to force. And accused number two was also cut. Now, uh, he's worth noting, Mandy, because he isn't a sentenced prisoner. Among all five of the accused, he's the only one that's not a, a, prison, a, a sentenced prisoner. And so he's awaiting trial, and he insists that because he's an awaiting t- trial prisoner, he shouldn't be handcuffed. Um, and so he's been coming to court without handcuffs. He's actually been coming just with leg irons. But today the security is notably tighter around all of the issues. And so the court spent some time there hearing those concerns from the accused, the number, accused number three, even addressing the court, saying he can't concentrate with all these handcuffs. However, Judge Ratamukhwateen said that, un- unfortunately, it's not within his power for him to make rulings around um, how they are cast in court saying that is particularly the mandates and the work of correctional services. And so the lawyer should address these concerns with the powers that be. And so once that was out of the way, we've only started hearing Brigadier giving, giving his testimony uh, around
3: about now. so uh, a statement being put out by Correctional Services on this entire fracas that has happened um, with the accused and, and the warders uh, are quite unprecedented, the fact that they've done this. But has this affected the flow of, of the trial? It really is a bit of a, a sideshow at this point.
8: Yes, you know, it was such an interesting statement because, number one, it seems correctional services had already made a conclusion from that statement that um, the accused were in the wrong. Um, They had said that they will uh, condemn this, right, in the strongest way. And they've also said that they will not be tolerating, um, you know, any disrespect. They're saying that it was clear disrespect from the accused. But then in the very same statement, correctional services go on to say they will be investigating the matter. And so it was a very interesting, but also a bit of a confusing statement from them because it seems conclusions had already been drawn. This is despite the fact that Judge Rathamu Khatling has not made an actual ruling. He said he will not make a formal ruling on this. He just admonished the accused and the warder saying people should not fight. He gave a bit of a lecture on Ubuntu about how to treat each other. But Correctional Services seems to be taking this a lot more seriously than the court has. And that can be seen really in how they've handled the matter today. As I said, it's much tighter. I mean, the accused are not even allowed to sit in the dock during the adjournments anymore. They've been taken down to the holding cells, which is something that hasn't been happening until now.
3: Homozo, thank you very much. Komoto Modise, EWN reporter in the Senzo Muiwa trial, Brigadier Ganinda uh, on the stand now and giving actual testimony. But a lot of focus, as she explains, is around this incident. I call it a fracas, uh, the, the clash, the fight, the scuffle, whatever you want to call it, between the warders and the accused uh, yesterday, which has spilled over to, to today. Um, and I think that that probably speaks to an underlying tension amongst uh, the accused and, and the longer that this drags on for and whether the uh, admissibility of that confession will happen or not. Um, but at least we are seeing some progress taking place. This trial's actually running day in and day out, which is something to be grateful for.
0: And now it's back to Mandy Wiener
3: on the Midday Report.
9: This is 702.
5: Let's walk the talk.
3: 12.26 on the Midday Report. Well, let's go to southern KwaZulu Natal now, to Mfume, where five suspects entered a homestead in uh, that area on Monday morning, began shooting. Four people were killed. A neighbour, uh, believed to be a girlfriend of one of the deceased, was wounded. Um, and this is not the first time there's been a shooting at this uh, family home. Nkratla Mabaso, EWN reporter, has been there and has spoken uh, with the neighbours, uh, with uh, with people uh, who uh, would. What happened as well, and Clantla. Good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. What do we know about the shooting and what the motive may have been?
9: Well, I it's and here as it stands, um, according to community members here, is that this is something new. Mm, it's something they've not experienced. Of course, not um, during the face that this particular family here, home here at Dengitis they've had a similar incident at, in 2022 when unknown suspects entered the family and started shooting. In fact, the mother who has now uh, died from this recent shooting was injured during that shooting. We are told that um, this could be a family conflict, but of course not confirmed as it stands. That's what police are also saying, that they cannot rule out a family conflict. But it is unclear as to... Who might be behind this particular shooting? As I mentioned, many that the previous one is also still currently under investigations. Police have not arrested anyone in that particular shooting, including this one. What we do know at this stage is that police have launched a menhunt and they are looking for five armed suspects to who to this family home and started an opening firemen. Hmm.
3: You've been speaking to neighbors, uh, people who live in that area in Flantlow. What have they been saying to you?
9: Well, I maybe mean, there seems to be, you know, a, a great fear following this uh, sense of shooting. In fact, the only people that I would definitely spoke to are family members. I mean, neighbors were just sitting in their yard. Most people are at work, but it also appears to be a great sense of fear. As you drive in, in this community, it's very quiet and people are, Taking, You know, um, they're, they're looking at the car cautiously, so as you know, that it's a GT plate and they're just wondering. Someone, in fact, said that to me that they were very shocked as I drove inside the family home. So any movement that is, a, is strange for them is now, you know, it, it scares them because they do not know who was behind the shooting, Some are even alleging you know that if it was a robbery incident around this time of December, if it happens to one family, then many families would be expecting it. So there's that great sense of fear from the neighbours in and around this community,
3: mate. What do we know about the the survivor in this incident?
9: Well, the survivor is now no longer at the family home. In fact, eyewitness news was meant to be speaking with him today, but his phone is now off, but we are told that he's been um, taken to another family home, which is a neighboring community from this one. And despite several attempts by eyewitness news to get a hold of the survivor, um, we could not. But we do know that during the shooting incident, he was in a separate house. And he says, uh, he's been saying that, um, that he did hear his mother calling his name. He was the one who then discovered that his family members were now shot, wounded, and some
3: and Klantla, thank you very much. Nklankla Mabaso, EWN reporter, speaking to us there. Uh, he's in that uh, that homestead uh, in the Mfume area in the south of KwaZulu Natal, uh, where four people were killed in the shooting on Monday.
0: And now it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 702. Let's walk the talk.
3: On the WhatsApp line, uh, Tutu says, Hi, Mandy, KZN is a killing field. There's always these kinds of incidents. uh, That's from Tutu in Dobsonville, uh, reflecting there on that interview I did with Nkantla Mabaso about that shooting that took place, four people being killed there. It really is concerning. We've also seen um, uh, more research being done on targeted assassinations as well, and just the the level of crime. uh, Something to be concerned about going into the elections next year. We uh, generally see an escalation of politically motivated uh, assassinations particularly in KwaZulu-Natal, according to research that is being done there. Well, speaking of um, elections, of course, the Moonshot Pact, the multi-party charter for South Africa, meeting today in Boxburg, the grouping of eight opposition parties uh, meeting today at the Birchwood Hotel in Boxburg, discussing, uh, hearing from civil society organizations what they want to see happening um, and what the political change in South Africa needs. Michael Beaumont is the chairperson at Action SA, which is one of the parties that is part of the Charter. Michael, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, What's uh, on the table today at the Birchwood Hotel?
10: Well, certainly, Mandy, another historic first. Uh, The Charter itself was the first for South Africa to have this number of parties come together, representing such a significant part of the South African society to say that we'll put aside our differences for an alternative to be presented to the South African people that can win the elections next year. Today is another historic first civil society organizations have been invited to the table so that we can listen to their perspectives. I think South Africa has lots of people who understand the challenges that we face, who have perspectives on how they can be addressed, but not all of them are in politics. And we have brought this group of civil society to the table so we can hear their perspectives and gain from their wisdom As we work to build a strong coalition. After the elections, that can be stable
3: and effective. I always say that in every instance where government has failed in South Africa, it has been civil society organizations that have stepped into the breach, that have held the line, that have been able to keep a government uh, on course by going to the courts. Uh, you think about Outer on eTOLs, eco education on textbooks, the Helen Sussman Foundation, the Black Sash on social grants, the list is long. How important is it to have buy in from um, civil society organizations? And, and what are the some of the key things, Michael, that they are saying that they want you to? To take on board and prioritize?
10: Yeah, look, it's absolutely massive. I think it, it's been very clear for some time that civil society organizations have done the work that government has failed to do, stepping into the space has been left by government that is uncaring and incapable of performing its basic functions. And that is very much you know, on display and on record everywhere you look in South Africa. From our point of view, we, we must acknowledge that major societal change has never taken place in our country by political actors alone. Political parties have a role to play without any question. It's faith-based organizations, business, labor, NGOs, and the broadest cross-section of civil society coming together to recognize that change is a societal project and not just a political one. The political parties have to play their role, but so too do the NGOs. And we need to end the era of people saying they're going to be impartial and they're going to be nonpartisan. It's not about people having to hand up to our particular parties. So I was saying people must sign up for the project of change. We need a strong force behind change in South Africa and civil society has a massive role to play mm. in that regard.
3: Uh, Michael, and just briefly, how is the pact holding at this point?
10: Well, the charter is lead holding, working hard. Uh, there's a lot of work going on to determine the kind of joint policy areas to addressing the greatest challenges in South Africa. And there's an exciting program next year where parties will be Holding joint events to present those solutions to the South African people to say, even though you seem to disagree on many things, we do believe we can get together and create the solutions around load shedding, crime, unemployment, mm. and corruption. And I think ultimately that has got to be the driving force in to demonstrate. That we can agree on the things that are most important to South
3: Africans. Michael Beaumont thank you very much. The National Chairperson of Action SA speaking there about uh, the multi-party charter meeting with civil society today uh, in Boxburg. Well, speaking of civil society let's speak now to the Defend Our Democracy movement because they've launched a national civil society campaign called Election Watch today ahead of the elections next year. It's aimed at observing, pronouncing on the integrity of the upcoming elections. Let's speak to who's a national committee member of defend our democracy good afternoon to you thank you very much for, for your time uh, tell us about election watch and what its intention is
11: well thanks for having me Mandy so election watch is very very simple Um, A lot of civil society has been working very, very hard in the lead up to this elections about protecting the integrity of the elections. And most of that functions about voter registration, voter education, as well as civic education. And what we are doing as DOD going into election days to say that the work to protect the elections going into it doesn't end the day before, that it continues on that day and afterwards. An election watch is all about protecting the integrity of the elections on the day as civil society, as organizations across the country, and essentially saying in what will most likely be one of the most contested elections at a national level uh, since 1994, this idea that civil society can't take that election day for granted, and that we're trying to avoid that worst fear of, if something were to happen off the elections, that we're not sitting back and asking the question, what could have been done we're being proactive about the idea of monitoring and observing the elections but we're making sure that all of civil society is part of a broader campaign to ensure that the election day runs as smoothly as possible
3: uh, so, so Hotsi, one of the things that uh, you're going to be doing, of course, is allowing organizations at a grassroots level, uh, ordinary members of the public, to uh, to get involved, to be active citizens, which is so important when you, you're you building a network of democracy volunteers to observe the election. So how is this going to be different to effectively what the, the IEC formally does? Is this another layer that we're adding?
11: Yeah, so we... We hold the integrity of the IEC at the highest esteem. So the idea is how do we ensure that the IEC's job is made even easier as as possible on the day. So the way that our, our campaign functions is that we are launching on the 30th, so on Thursday, and we're inviting organizations as well as citizens to apply and register on our platform where we get their details so that we know where to allocate you across the country to distribute the resources, but also so that they also register with the IAC to become an official election observer with the IEC. The biggest difference is, and many organizations have already done this, is that we're making sure that organizations that are official observers of the IC also get training from us over the next couple of months, but also fit into a broader system on the day that allows us to communicate across the country with various different organizations and individuals who we will station at particular voting stations. And the idea here is that to get as many coordinated eyes as possible and feeding back that information that we gather on the day, not just incidences at voting stations, but the tallying of the results and feeding that information back to the IEC to further system
3: on that particular day. And importantly, because in light of the conversation we just had with Michael Beaumont from Action SA about the, the, the multi-party charter engagement with civil society, this project is politically non-partisan.
11: That is correct. This idea is that this is civil society in a politically nonpartisan way. And I I do agree with Michael, the idea that being nonpartisan doesn't mean that you are not political in the sense of your politics are informed by defending this democracy. And our goal and objective is a nonpartisan civil society movement that says we won't allow the elections to be taken away from us we won't let any organization whether political party or otherwise essentially uh denigrate the integrity of the elections whether that's by denying someone to vote whether that's by uh purporting misinformation on the day we're allowing citizens to have that ability to report that to the IEC through our channels and to feel that they are part of something bigger, this change that we need in the country and protecting the change as it occurs.
3: Koti, thank you so much for your time and thanks for chatting to us today. That uh, Chikani, National Committee Member for Defend Our Democracy, speaking about this national civil society campaign called Election Watch, which is launching uh, this week and crucial, the role of civil society when it comes to holding politicians to account but just active citizenship in general.
0: 702. 70- Mandy Weena. Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m.
3: Well, let's go back to that lead story that we've been speaking about here, and that's the uh, tragic incident at the Impala Platinum Mine in Rustenburg in the northwest. Uh, earlier, we spoke to the spokesperson from Impala Platinum Mine about uh, the incident in which 11 miners died, over 70 injured as well. Gwen Mantashe has been having a press conference in Rustenburg, uh, the Mining and Energy Minister, speaking about the fact that the um, the project, uh, the um, the work being done to recover uh, all of those mine workers has been uh, completed now. He's been saying that we'll continue to work towards ensuring that mine workers are safe. Uh, he has also been speaking at a conference on mining safety as well. Uh, let's have a listen in to that press conference that is currently underway.
6: Anybody else, who they have close friends in the mines. They live with other people. So we are engaged with all our employees. The services are available. We've got our doctors here in the room who are managing the whole disaster in relation to human life and the people who have passed on. So I am going to hand over to my CEO. Nico, you may
8: want to come here or they may move.
9: Come, come here,
8: Nicole.
9: No, let me come here.
8: Come here, Nico.
2: Uh, good, Good morning colleagues and first of all our absolute condolences to every person injured and every person who's lost their life in our house this morning. As a mining company, we will take full accountability. This is our business, it's our employees, it's our family, and we will endeavour to be as transparent to all stakeholders involved, including the media, in giving full disclosure as we navigate through this absolute horrific human tragedy. So just as a departure point. With regards to safety and health and where it features in our business, it is an absolutely fundamental cornerstone of our business, and we do not believe in producing a single ounce if it cannot be produced safely. We have been very public about the very intensive investment, the capital investment program that we have been initiating, um, that we were able to do uh, as a consequence of the good fortunes that we had over the last few years, and uh, I think if you look at the specifically the intensity of our stand business capital, which relates to infrastructure, you will see that particularly at the lease area, you will see a very aggressive investment strategy, and it is particularly to protect the integrity of equipment. In the event of a failure, we will make sure that we do not leave a single stone unturned to find out what the cause is and to prevent reoccurrence. As a consequence of this incident, The Chief Operating Officer and CEO of Impala made a deliberate decision to stop every winding operation at Rustenburg until we are able to determine the failure that caused this accident and until we are able to provide assurance that no possibility exists of repeating this at any other part of of the business. With regards to the employees that have been injured, there were 86 employees that were affected in total. Of them, everyone, as the Minister said, has been brought to surface. Seventy-five of those employees have been admitted to uh, to hospital, and of them, there are ten that are in critical care. One employee has been airlifted lifted to Moe Park, and the other nine are in ICUs in regional os- hospitals in the area. We will endeavor to, fo- to, to walk the path with all of the employees, Colleagues, and in particular the family and friends of the employees uh, that have been impacted, we are in communication. Typically, in a situation like this, we bring the the, the family to the operation. We provide counsel. Our HR teams will look at uh, the mental health, the trauma that's, uh, that 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 colleagues go through, and we will make sure, sure that we uh, walk the, the path with our employees. Thank you.
3: So that's Nico Muller. He is the CEO at uh, Impala Platinum Holdings speaking there. The voice you heard at the beginning was Tandi Ole, the appointed chairman-designate of Impala Platinum, holding a press conference there. Sitting next to Nico Muller is Guere Mantashe, the minister, who's also been speaking here. So a joint press conference underway in Rustenburg at the moment uh, in the wake of that tragic incident at the mine in Rustenburg in which 11 mine workers have been killed. And as you heard there, over 80 mine workers... Being injured. 702.
2: 702. Mandy Weiner.
0: Weekdays 12 to 1 p.m.
3: 1250 on the midday Mede- report. The Human Sciences Research Council yesterday releasing the sixth South African national HIV prevalence. Incidence, Behaviour and Communication Survey. It tells us uh, quite a bit about uh, the HIV situation in South Africa. Um, It shows that uh, there's a slight decline in people living with HIV in South Africa. The percentage of people living with HIV in South Africa decreasing from 14% in 2017 to 12.7% in 2022. Also telling us that females aged 15 and older were at twice the risk of catching HIV than they male counterparts with more than 7.4 million from this group living with HIV. Well, let's speak now to Adlai Davids, who's the Senior Research Manager in the Public Health Societies and Belonging Research Division of the HSRC. Adlai, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. What are some of the key findings of this report?
12: Yeah, no, as you introduced, there's the what's the issue about our, our, our prevalence that was down 1.3% and that translates into about 107,000 people, fewer people living with HIV in the country. And what that translates to is fairly positive in, in terms of meeting our, um, meeting of the 95, 95 95 targets in terms of those knowing their HIV status and also those who are on ART, uh, retroviral therapy, and then of course become virally suppressed because part of uh, dealing with this uh, pandemic is the issue around uh, viral suppression which means that uh, if it becomes so low that it's undetectable it also means that it's untransmissible and that's a very uh, important uh, part for us in in, in managing uh, this uh, epidemic and also encouraging us to to encourage those in our society to actually test for HIV Mm. and to continue with things like uh, um, the messages we had in the past about uh, condom use, et cetera.
6: Uh, your
3: um, information was collected on key HIV indicators, so social and behavioural factors, and, and on the point yeah. that you've just mentioned, on the WhatsApp line, Le Cerro says, Mandy, on the HIV reduction discussion, could you find out what the person believes has brought down the numbers, so what the report believes? Is it better behaviour? Is it a factor of people staying true to their regimen of pills and can they credit undetected untransmissible UU? What, what has led to this decrease?
12: Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we could say that, and, and, and I, I do think that uh uh, there's maybe a little bit uh, more awareness although we, we we might have seen maybe people have uh, become uh, more and more uh, aware of, of, of risky sex and refraining, but we still have a problem of, of, of multiple sexual partnerships in the in the sense that uh, um, that impacts on on condom use because a long um, last condom use amongst uh, very key risk population is is that it's only 50% in younger people who have multiple sexual uh, partners and that gives us uh, a problem. I do think that um, what keeps this prevalence, dropping prevalence is also important is the fact that people with HIV and because ARVs are so uh, effective actually stay, uh, uh, um, well live longer and that means that in some uh, provinces you might find that there might be a higher prevalence and the reason for that is that simply that the ARVs are working more and more people are staying uh, uh kept alive and but the problem is uh, for us is still that the so-called epidemiological tap of the disease has not been closed in that we still have too many new infections uh and especially amongst the younger women and adolescent girls
3: well when you look at at the breakdown as you've just discussed around geographic areas um age race as well what yeah. are some of the breakdowns that you've learned from this
2: yeah,
12: for us, is, 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 is of course that uh, there's a geographic uh, variation in the sense that uh, um, you'll find that as I mentioned, KZN is the, the highest in about 21.8 uh, compared to an average of, 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 of uh, prevalence of 12.7. But there's some provinces like the Western Cape, the Northern Cape, and uh, Limpopo is, is, is less than that average at 12.7, which is a good sign in terms of maybe that there are fewer new infections. And then amongst uh, um, yeah, older, I mean among girls, we, we find that is still uh, much higher, especially in terms of uh, your very younger uh, cohorts that we've mentioned in terms of adulthood is that 15 to 19, which uh, females then have about uh, 5.6 compared to uh, almost double that of, of, of younger men of that age of 3%. And then it uh, it, it goes to 20 to 24, maybe 8 versus two, to 4% uh, in, in, in young women, uh, in young women, and then Threefold uh, when comparing in uh, 25 to 29, mm. which is 20% to 6% uh, compared to 6% of men. Sure. And one of the things for that is we'll is be dealing with a lot of, of intergenerational sex or uh, transgenerational sex. where The age uh, difference is about five years, which may mean that... Uh, um, the the prevalence for girls then becomes uh, Mm. more and more that of of older men, which is is a big issue for us going forward.
3: Adlai, thank you so much for breaking that all down for us. Uh, Adlai David speaking to us there, Senior Research Manager at the HSRC, uh, speaking to us about uh, that report, which has uh, been released this week from the Human Sciences Research Council. It's the sixth South African National HIV Prevalence, Incidence, Behavior and Communication Survey.
0: 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk.
3: Earlier today, Minister Zizi Kodwa held a press conference, the Minister of Sport, Art and Culture, about various issues uh, that was covered. Um, I think the big headline there is the fact that Boxing South Africa has a board. Also, other announcements as well. Lita Mpondwana is the spokesperson for the minister joining us now. Lita, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Let's start with the issue of Boxing South Africa. And what is the president, uh, The president? what has the minister announced on this?
1: Um, good morning, good afternoon, Mandy. Thank you for your time. Um, so, the Minister this afternoon, um, this morning made several important announcements in the field of sport, arts and culture. And amongst those announcements was a new, um, unboxings um, Africa board. Um, of course, as you would know, the current term of the current, um, board of South Africa, um, unboxing of, of boxing of Africa ends on the 11th of December. And so the new members um, of this board were announced today. Um, their term beginning on 12 December until 11 December 2026. Um, the chairperson will be Umutis Fiso Shongwe. What uh, we what got as a reaction from this board was that this new board um, is a fresh board because it's got the younger person now, but also they've got the mandate just to continue efforts to rebuild boxing in South Africa. The minister did remark in um, the briefing that Boxing is one of the three most popular sports in the country, but you haven't seen that reflected in recent years, mm. um, especially from an administration point of view. So the, this current board has the task of just um, re-establishing boxing in the country, and just right. also the most important one, finding a new CEO. The minister also announced um, an eminent persons group um, to look into sports transformation in the country, which will be chaired by Dr. Sambin Um This group will be looking to assess transformation um, in sport in the country, to see how it can be better implemented, and how our federations can better implement their transformation.
3: uh, um, Also, an update on on WADA, um, because of those issues in September around the anti-doping code. Um, I understand that the uh, bull has now formally been placed in the Government Gazette as of this week. Yes, from
1: this week, um, the the, the bill has been put on government gazette, um, and it it, it was submitted through Parliament. Um, So now that's one step closer to um, the State Amendment Bill being made into law. Um, The Minister also announced that um, the water Regional Office, um, which has been hosted in South Africa um, for the past while, has again won won a bid to be hosted in South Africa. So so, South Africa now hosts also, um, once again, a water Regional Office. Another announcement that was made. Do you have um, time
3: for one more, so I want to hear about the yes. South African Creative Arts Awards, because I'm sure that's uh, going to get yes. people reacting as well.
1: Yes, that is a big one. Um, the Minister announced um, an all encompassing awards for the country's arts and culture sector, the South African Creative Arts Awards, um, which. Um, which will be ones which acknowledge um, all achievements in the arts and culture. As you know, um, government will have um, the sports awards, but there was never a similar initiative for the arts and, and, and cultural sectors. So this award, so these awards um, will be acknowledging those who've set the bar for the country in terms of arts and culture. And more details of that will be announced in due course.
3: Lita, thank you very much. Lita Mpondwana speaking to us there. The spokesperson for the Minister of uh, Arts, Sports and Culture Zizi Kodwa, that broad and Encompassing press conference earlier today.
0: The Midday Report.
3: So I'm watching at the moment the Minister of uh, Mining and Energy, Gwede Mantashe, is still holding this press conference in Rustenburg at the moment with the leadership of Impala Platinum Mine uh, responding to this incident in which 11 mine workers were killed, over 80 injured as well. Um, and he's been speaking about mine safety, saying the investigation will take place, we'll cooperate uh, with the department. That's what Impala Platinum are saying um, and attempts there to ensure mine safety across the industry. Expect that to be the story that gets lots of a reaction, lots of people talking today as well.